0: To Alice's story, by the way, wonderful stories like that, always remind me of the quote uh, by Oswald Chambers, devotional writer years ago, many years ago, who wrote, um, to never discount leadings in our hearts because he said the leadings that you have in your heart and soul may actually be because of a result of someone else praying or an answer to someone else's prayer. We're all connected in that way. And we don't know why, but we feel a leading, we feel a concern, we feel a nudge, a hunch, and we want to move in that direction. So don't ever discount that, Oswald Chambers would say. Well, it's good to be back with you this morning. I left over a week ago, excuse me, to be this devotional speaker uh, at Western Yearly Meeting. Western Yearly Meeting is located predominantly south and west of Indianapolis. It's a Quaker yearly meeting that consists of about 30 local meetings. Um, Had the privilege of speaking Thursday through Sunday morning on the theme of, quote, so that faith, truth, and love may flourish. And after we uh, were there, after I was there, then we went to spend the week with Linda's parents and my parents. But it was good to spend that time with these good folks from Western. They've been through some trying times, and they're going to continue to be going through some trying times as an organization and as a yearly meeting, but they seem to be moving slowly in that direction. While I was away, I did some reading. I had conversations with folks. I had a lot of Quaker conversations, a lot of Quaker conversations. When Quakers get together, they like to know about other Quakers. They like to know about you. And, and of course, my parents have been Quakers all their lives, so I kept um, hearing, your your Bill Wagner and Joyce Wagner's son, aren't you? And how Bill and Joyce Wagner? So It was just like a big family reunion. And I kept up with some of the needs and concerns here at Deep River. And every now and then, I leaned into the conversations that were going on nationally and tried to keep track of what was going on. And I came away from all of that with one deep impression and one deep leading, and that is this, our world and our communities and our lives are in deep and desperate need of shalom. Now, I know that's not a word we use too much, but I will come back to that. But our lives and our communities and our world are in desperate need of shalom. In fact, I want to say it is the ultimate cry and longing of our human condition. Now, this is a word used extensively in the scriptures, and it's used about 539 times. And no, I didn't go through and count each one. It's what the Internet is for, all right? But it's used mostly in the context of peace and wholeness or to make things right or to restore the world or to be restored back to the way God originally intended it to be. It is this perfection of God's creation, this well-being, this abundance. As one writer puts it, 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 in its basic sense, it is harmony between God and his people, God and his creation and people and creation. Shalom is the way things are supposed to be. And again, we may not use that word much. One of the words that I use kind of as a synonym for it is this word flourishing. If shalom reigns and if if it is how God intended things to be, then there is flourishing of people's lives. There is flourishing of communities. There is flourishing in our world. And maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Maybe one thing I I recognized as I moved in and around people was maybe less a feeling of flourishing and more this feeling of languishing. People just languishing in their spirit. People languishing about life. People languishing about their congregations and maybe even their yearly meetings. And for some, it's good reason. I talked to one pastor, faithful guy, um, in this church outside of Indianapolis, Indiana, down to four people. And now what do we do? And he says to me, he says, I feel like a hospice chaplain more than anything else right now, just trying to figure out how to give this meeting a good death. And so there is a sense of languishing, and, and I wanted to listen and, and take it in um, but i got to tell you, after four days, I was tired. I was exhausted. I see it in this human condition the condition of the world in the last couple of weeks. Conversations with folks who have regrets about the past or seeking to move forward, they need to receive forgiveness and forgive themselves, but it's hard. In conversations with folks who are involved in tough conversations about denominations and yearly meeting struggles and the talk of separations and divisions, conversation with folks who out of their own brokenness, they struggle with their relationships and how their own brokenness affects their relationships. I see it in persons struggle with grief and depression, anxiety, or this deep sense of shame and guilt, this inability to see their deep value and worth in the eyes of God. And I've I've heard it like so many of you probably have in the conversations and debates that seem to be prevalent now, and the kind of conversations and debates that often turn into finger-pointing and blaming and labeling and turning away from one another. And yes, I went there. But it seems pervasive, almost toxic, and we languish under that. So our world and our communities, our lives are in this deep and desperate need of shalom, of wholeness and peace, and this deep restoring of our condition back to what God originally intended. In her book called The Very Good Gospel, author Lisa Sharon Harper writes this, Humanity's broken relationship with God is the ultimate cause of all other brokenness. Humanity's broken relationship with God is the ultimate cause of all other brokenness. And so before I begin to look at others and say, yeah, I can see that they're broken, one of the things I have to come to terms with, first of all, is I can tell you who is as broken in are standing right in front of you. I am a broken person, and I am in process, and I am in recovery, but we're all broken. We're all in that place of being restored and being renewed and being made whole again. And it is a journey, and it is a process, and it is God's intent. And that's what salvation is all about, bringing us and healing us and bringing us back to that place of wholeness. But every now and then, our brokenness sneaks in and affects who we are and how we are in life. I have at home, and I had Linda bring it for me, this wonderful ceramic, I'm going to be very careful with it, this wonderful varies, and I'm sorry if you can't see it from the back, ceramic plate that says Shalom. And I, I treasure and value this because I got this in Israel when I was there about four or five years ago uh, from an Armenian Christian in the old city of Jerusalem. Had a little store on the corner, and this was the only thing I could afford. <laughs> he had a little store on the corner, and he made pottery. And so I bought this, and I have a couple other items at home. One of the items that I have, though, is a little chalice, kind of a little mini chalice, a little mini cup, and it's broken. I don't know how it broke, but it is broken. And uh, I couldn't find it last night, and I discovered it. I had put it in a drawer there in my study at home. And so it was a wonderful metaphor for me to realize that, well, that's exactly what we do. Often we hide our brokenness. We keep it hidden from others and even from ourselves. But the problem is that even when we hide it, it still affects who we are. It still affects, affects how we act. And how we respond. Richard Rohr, um, a writer, a Jesuit priest, puts it this way Whole people, W H O L P, whole people see and they create wholeness wherever they go. Split people see and create splits in everything and everybody. Or I'll paraphrase it Whole people see, excuse me, whole people see and create wholeness and harmony wherever they go. Broken people see and create brokenness in everything and everybody. Now, I may not do it intentionally. I probably don't. And sometimes I probably do. But in many ways, my brokenness does sneak out and it leaks out. And it reminds me that I need to be in that place of being made whole, being restored. I need that shalom just as much as the rest of the world does. I go back to Lisa, uh, Lisa Sharon Harper. In this book, The Very Good Gospel, she writes about her transformative experience with the living Christ in her life and how she opened up her heart and her soul. And she did it at a good old-fashioned tent revival meeting. She talks about that uh, growing up in, in the African-American church and, and how it was so profound for her, how in college she got invited to this, this tent revival meeting and she went forward. But even as she came out of that experience of transformation, she began to open up her life to, to seeing how much the world was bigger than just her own personal salvation, but how being made whole had to do with how she treated others and how we treated one another and how we treated the environment. And she began to work for a group called Sojourners who dealt particularly with issues of social transformation. But here's what she writes, quote, My problems and issues and brokenness weren't all, were not all taken away that night, but something real, something transformative had happened at the altar. I entered back into relationship with God through the person of Jesus. And then she adds, God had given me light, healing, and redemption. The healing has come in God's way, in God's time, and 32 years later I am still waiting on God for some of the most stubborn brokenness in my life and soul to be healed. And I know that feeling. Some of us do as well. But meanwhile, I partner with God to bring healing to some of the most broken corners of our society and world. So what's the beginning point in this? I think the beginning point is to be mindful and aware of how our own brokenness is either sabotaging our own life or our relationships and our response to life, our unhealed shame, how it leaves us constantly seeking validation and approval outside ourselves. Sometimes it may even drive us to live self-destructively and to numb our pain. Our internal divisions can lead us to being divisive in life. So rather than practicing empathy and collaboration and understanding, life becomes this ongoing competition where we try to win every argument and bully others with our opinion. And I know that feeling as well. I've been on the bullying, trying to win every argument end. And rather than living our lives that are integrated and whole, we sometimes lead disintegrated lives that they feel like they're spinning out of control with no organizing center, no sense of purpose, no deeper meaning to all that we do. Sandra Cronk is a a Quaker who's passed away, but she wrote this wonderful book on um, the spiritual life. And here's what she has to say We all know the experience of passing along our hurts and our wounds and the unsatisfied demands to our children, friends, or even acquaintances, only to have them do the same to us. We're all enmeshed in this chain of hurt and violence. The familial, social, political, and economic structures of our world have all been shaped in some degree by hatred, distrust, bitterness, and self-centeredness. Those fallen structures impinge on our lives, and they wound us. I participate in this when I'm not mindful of my own brokenness and division. But we participate in breaking this cycle of wounding others and this chain of hurt and violence when we're willing to open our lives to the healing, restoring presence of the living Christ, to allow the light of Christ to shine on our brokenness, to allow Christ's grace and mercy to be the glue that mends our life. And then we can be, as she says, Lisa Sharon Harper, the author, we can partner with God as we welcome Christ, healing, light, and love into our life to bring a shalom. We, to use her words, we partner with God to bring healing to the broken corners of our society and of our world. And this is what I think it means to bring God's peaceable kingdom to earth. That's a Quaker term, this peaceable kingdom. And what Quakers believe is it can actually happen We can actually make it happen, not make it in our power and strength, but God through us, we can bring this peaceable kingdom to be present here on earth in what we do of peace, harmony, wholeness, restoring, abundance and generosity, but it means partnering with God. Now, peaceable kingdom, shalom and wholeness, they sound like wonderful words. This is where I've got to get down to the rubber meets the road kind of stuff. What does that look like? What does it look like for you and I? Well, it may mean doing what we can to help make things right in our world, in our neighborhoods. To practice righteousness is to make things right. So maybe it means making things right wherever we can, making things right in a relationship, making things right with people that we are at odds with, making things right where there maybe has been some division. It means loving our neighbor or as one Writer put it, the call to love our neighbor is a call for us to get involved and work with Jesus to create a just world. I'll never forget after one Sunday, and I'm looking at Glenn, I spouted that words, We are to love our neighbor. And then after meeting for worship, Glenn asked me or called me, So who is my neighbor? And my first response was, Don't complicate this and ask me questions. But the best answer I could come up with, and I don't know if it's the best answer, but it's the one I had in the moment, I thought about Dr. Swenson, a writer years ago who talked about the ministry of Jesus, and he used to say ministry for Jesus is whoever happened to be in front of him at that moment. So I paraphrase that, and my answer to Glenn then and it is now, your neighbor is whoever happens to be in front of you at that moment. That's your neighbor. could be your literal neighbor, but it's whoever is right in front of you in that very moment and I'm invited to love my neighbor. It means doing what we can and what we need in order to help our community and neighborhood flourish. It means being active in our community to enrich it. enrich it. Last week, and I hesitate to say this because I don't say it to pat myself on the back, but I say it just to share my experience. Last week, I was just so overwhelmed with this need to say, to, to, to do something for the common good and to speak to Alan's, Alice's point about god's leading as i was going through my facebook feed and trying to find anything that related to the common good up popped this ad and it was an ad or not an ad but it was an invitation from reading connections in guilford county that says do you like to read do you want to help others to read well then come get trained and be a tutor for helping others to read and i thought well this seems interesting i like to read I think it would be good to help others read. And by the way, helping people read is one of the first huge steps to helping them succeed in life. If they can't read, they can hardly succeed. I thought, I can do my part to help create some common ground and common good and flourishing. So I checked into it and probably the next couple of weeks I'm going to go for about six hours of training during the week in August to become a reading tutor. Now, You want to join me, that's fine. But my point is, that's where God called me. Where's God calling you? To just create some good right where you are, instead of diagnosing the problem, is being part of the solution in bringing some wholeness and shalom to our world. I thought about the people that I spent time with, Dale and Sylvia Graves. Dale using his gifts and talents to help communities heal, to help, them, to help them become whole, to help them flourish. Dale is a retired teacher, Quaker at West Newton Friends and Western Yearly Meeting. He could probably spend the rest of his retirement, him and Sylvia, just enjoying it in, in traveling and doing this and doing that, whatever uh, they would want to do because they have the means. But the last two years, Dale has spent in Belize City, helping bring back to a place of wholeness the Belize Friends School. And for a while, it languished. But right now, it is in a place where they're actually looking for new property, for a place where they're looking for a new building. The attendance is the highest it's ever been. He's done his two-year interim, and he even says, I'm going to make sure I go back two or three times next year. My, my, my term is over, but I'm going to go back two or three times next year just to make sure we keep the momentum going. And this is a place... And the reason they have this French school in Belize City is, in their public system, if you can't make it past a certain level in terms of education, you don't move on to high school. Plain and simple. This is what's called a continuation school. It's that gap school between what they did in the elementary years, helping them prepare themselves so they can get to high school, so they can have an education, so they don't end up in the gangs in Belize City, in which it is a perennial and prevalent problem. This is Dale Graves. Offering his gifts and his talents. Now that may not be your thing. Again, just an example. But where can your gifts and talents and abilities contribute so we bring shalom to bear upon this world and we bring life and wholeness and we help it flourish? One of the best sermon titles I ever heard. I wish I had made it up. But I didn't, so I'm not going to take credit for it. But one of the best sermon titles I ever heard has God Has Left the Building. God you know, we've heard Elvis has left the building. God has left the building. In other words, that's what happens when we partner with God. We bring healing and shalom to a broken and sometimes exhausted society. And after last week I am more convinced than ever before that Quakers have something this world needs the peaceable kingdom, a vision for peace, a vision for shalom, a vision for wholeness that first resides in us and then flows out of us into everything around us to heal whatever divisions and wounds there may be. I want to close with this one quote and then we'll take a few more moments. It's by a pastor named Rick McKinley. Here's what he has to say. The dream of the neighborhood is dependent upon courageous neighbors who will restructure their life, reorganize their priorities, and realign their life to bring about the possibility of shalom, the harmony between us and God, us and creation, us and our neighbor. We need to move past fear, and we need to take a look at our lives and not just be content that we wrote a check. How is God calling you? How's God calling me, calling us to be shalom bringers to a world that I think really desperately needs it? One more thought. My nine-hour drive is catching up with me, so I actually forgot something here. But I share it only again to say, as I kept thinking about this, spirit wouldn't let me off the hook. I wanted to make it philosophical. Jesus wanted to make it right where I live. And the verse that kept coming to me, and I have it written down right here, was James 1.19. And I shared this in our earlier uh, silent uh, worship. But James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to grow angry. And I thought if there's any way that I could help bring shalom and wholeness and the peaceful kingdom to this life and my world, it's how can I be quick to listen and slow to speak? and slow to get angry. I need to be a quick listener and a slow speaker and try to let my ears be more present than my tongue. That's where my growing edge is. What's yours?